As for my American friend, the CIA thinks it can infiltrate the mountain of Dr. Crone? You can't scare me, you slant-eyed yellow bastard. Take him to Detroit. No! No, not Detroit! No! No, please! Anything but that! No! No! Hey! Hey! Where? This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is episode 61, and it is Tuesday, April 12th, 2011. As usual, I am Paul Fox, and joining me, who's very, very full of it, or full of foot, we should say, for this week, is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Kevin Ma. Don't go breaking my heart. Oh, hey, <laughs> Paul. Sorry, sing this since last week. Get with the Every now, day. man. <laughs> Don't be stuck in the past. How you doing, Kevin? I'm all right. Just a uh, little under the weather, thanks to yeah, not, you, Charlie. You got the flu 20. bug, or yeah, I mean it was the uh, air conditioning at Charlie Foot. Yeah, it was really cold. I, yes, uh, yes. Was, I haven't been in that theater in a long time, and it was it was like on max, but it was kind of hot that day, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think it's exactly what happened because I walked a while to get to that theater, and then I was sweating, and I got into the theater, and then you know. The, the, the air conditioner was blowing by me, and it was for all of all movies. It had to be for Choily Foot. Yeah. Uh, well, yes. we're here gonna we're gonna talk about that movie Choily Foot, and we're also gonna be talking about the new animated film Rio this week, and I'll also cover the documentary Inside Job, which was recently made available on uh, iTunes for rent, but it's also still going around um, in some festival circuits, and it's still getting some international play in theaters. Um, so we'll be talking about that a bit later in our West Screen segment. For now, though, let's move on to some news. All right. Only got a couple news stories this week. It's kind of been a slow week um, for what I was looking around for on film. But this first story comes from our friends over at uh, Film Business Asia. And it's a story claiming that the China box office was down 11% in Q1 of 2011. Uh, the article coming from Stephen Kremen says that, um, you know, they're comparing with some of last year's figures. Um, revenues fell 11% from RMB 2.93 billion or 448 million in, in 2011. Um, to the levels of 2.60 billion or 397 million. So there's still a lot of money flowing around, um, but not quite as much as last year. But they're saying that the success of last year was due in part to the big blockbuster we knew as uh, Avatar. And of course, you've got you know the 3D prices and all of that stuff going on too. So there's probably some inflation in some of the uh, some some factor there somehow going on last year, would you say so, Kevin? Um, yeah, I think Avatar really f- threw everyone off. It came at the end of the year, but it carried very well. 
into uh, the first three months of the year. Um, so I think that threw everything off. I think actually, if you look at a report, um, it says that without Avatar, actually the box office would be up this year. So I think in on average, um, films are generally doing better than last year. Even though we look at that chart of the top twenty films at a Chinese box office, um, look at what's at bottom, number twenty, Killers, starring mm-hmm. Ashton Kutcher yeah. and Catherine Heigl. And as I as I looked over the list of in the top ten, though. Half of them were foreign films. At number 10, you've got the Narnia sequel. Uh, number 9, Tron Legacy. Number 8, The Tourist. Number 7, Green Hornet. You only get up to number 6, and I, you know, Pleasant Goat, Big Wolf. Is that a mainland property? Yeah, yeah, that's a mainland yeah, cartoon. The, yes. the cartoon series, and, and that's yes. the third one. Uh, then you're into All's Well, Ends Well, 2011, the New Year film. Uh, but number 4, Battle Los Angeles. Number three, uh, back to China, or China, is that a co-production, My Own Swords? That's no, China. It's China. And then Eternal Moment and Shaolin, rounding up the top yeah. two. So, yeah, there's still a lot of dominance. You know, you get down into the lower lower part of the 11 through 20, and there's a number of foreign films in there as well. Uh, a couple Hong Kong films, Mr. and Mrs. Mm-hmm. Incredible, and I Love Hong Kong. Um, but, yeah, still a lot of dominance by Hollywood in the upper spots. Well, you also want to note that um, because Let the Bullets Fly and um, if you're the one, too, they opened in mid-December. So a lot of their big grosses, especially if you're um, Let the Bullets Fly 7 million, no, 700, almost 800 million RMB take actually came in 2011, not to that, not not last year, even though it didn't open until it didn't open this year. So that's also worth noting because a lot of money went to those two movies. I think if you're the one, too, made 400 million RMB and uh let the bullets fly made 800 so if you keep count those two movies that will bump chronicles of narnia and tron legacy off the charts and that would make it uh actually a six i think six of those films then would be would be chinese films hmm. yeah that's what also com- um sorry go sorry, ahead, go ahead. worth noting is that look at the bottom i mean number 20 it's only at 15 million RMB. Hmm. that tells you i think how many films it came out did they write down how many films came out in the first three months uh I don't, know. I don't see the number, but I think we're talking about almost in the hundreds. We're talking about almost hundred films out by in these three months, and and the number twenty grossing film only scored fifteen million RMB. Yeah. That tells you that a lot of the money are funneling to to the big films, and you get a lot of lot of these films. I think look at eighty films. They're they're grossing under fifteen million. Yeah, it's pretty straight up. But it's still surprising that a lot of these numbers are coming from like holiday films from you know overseas and mm-hmm. you know so it's, it's kind of not fair i mean because you're you've got the hollywood cycle coming in and competing with uh you know these <clears throat> films getting a january release and i don't think they do the same kind of cycle in mainland china as they do in hollywood right because it, it's not you know it's not about the christmas holiday and it's you know new year's is big um, but usually by new year's I mean, do they hold? Are they holding the Christmas films for New Year's to compete with that, or, or how do you think that works? I think they're holding some of the Christmas films uh, for New Year's, but Christmas is also a big period in China because last year, like last year, you had Let the Bullets Fly, If You're the One Too, and Shanghai Girls um, Sacrifice. Uh, let the, like I said before, Let the Bullets Fly, eight hundred million RMB. Uh, if You're the One Too, four hundred and fifty, and even Shanghai Girls Sacrifice, which lost. By big margin, even that one made 171 RMB, million RMB. Mm. So yes, Christmas is definitely a big, big time. Um, 
But I could also see that they they pushing some of these Christmas films off in order to do the necessary promotion and and to get through the censorship and things like that. I mean, sometimes it's not just a matter of marketing. In Hong Kong, you could sell that or it's due to marketing or putting it in the right right time. But it's also sometimes because you have to get films through censorship or to get it through starved. And I guess by the time it got through, they probably just figured it would be better to to put it at the right time. I think Tron Legacy came out before... Actually, came out around mid-January, so just before New Year's. Um, tourists at, at, at the latter end of the New Year holiday. Green Hornet as well. So if anything, actually, these January releases are actually trying to avoid the really crowded New Year period, if anything. Mm. Interesting stuff. You can, again, go by the website at filmbiz.asia and take a look at that news article, and you can look at the list and the numbers for yourself. All right, second bit of news for this week. Uh, construction underway on a $4.4 billion Shanghai Disneyland. Now, I've read a couple different stories about this. There are some that are saying, all right, it's actually going to be smaller than the Hong Kong Park right now, um, but... It might be a little bit more innovative. They still don't really know. Um, there's still a lot of people in Hong Kong worried about the potential for competition and drawing tourism away from Hong Kong. So it's going to be a Shanghai versus Hong Kong kind of a thing. And especially for things like Golden Week, in which a lot of mainlanders come here to shop, they also go to places like Ocean Park and the Hong Kong Disneyland. So, I mean, it's not really movie news related, but... The fact that this is really going through now, that Disney's having a stronger presence in China, uh, has me wondering what kind of presence they'll have film-wise. I mean, can we expect to see maybe a Disney film studios in some, in some point in the near future, or more Disney co-productions? And speaking of Disney co-productions, where is High School Musical China? Uh, have you heard anything about it, Kevin? Well, I'm not at all surprised that it's not making it to Hong Kong because that is a, a strictly Chinese, um, Chinese market film. Hong Kong people have a, have a tendency to not want to see films that are marketed toward Chinese people. Uh, that's really in general, um, especially kids. I mean, if you're up to kids stuff, there's even less interest about it. Um, I think the high school musical, the American films, have done well enough here, right? I think, if I remember correctly. I mean, I, I know I've seen them available in the video shops, at least, and, and that's the one thing that surprised me is I remember, I think we talked about this once or twice <laughs> last year, and uh, as I just it just popped in my head when I was reading about the Shanghai Disneyland. I was like, well, wait a minute, what happened to that? You know, that film did it ever get made? I remember seeing a trailer. And then I looked up and some people had, had written some comments saying, oh, yeah, I loved it. I've got the DVD now. And I'm like, well, all right, we've got a Disney here. You'd think that Disney would have been, you know, doing some strong promotion in the region. And I haven't seen or heard anything about it here. Um, and it's not it's certainly not available in any of the shops on video. So I just thought it was a bit strange. It's definitely not available in Hong Kong because um, they weren't ever really, I think they weren't, they were never aiming for Hong Kong because it's in Mandarin. Um, but also when it came out theatrically in China, um, there was a lot of these little, not politics as in, not, not, not politics as in com communist party politics, but I think a lot of business politics had to do with um, uh, the release of it. And I think China, the China film group buried the film mm. uh, because of certain issues with another film and it got buried and it did very badly uh also it it's been trashed critically so 
uh, it flopped pretty bad. Uh, but when you bring up whether there will be more Disney co-productions, uh, I think High School Musical China was the second one after the Magic Gourd uh, a few years ago. And I think um, with the box office growth of those two movies, I think Disney will be taking it really slow to try and <clears throat> build an audience. Because right now, those two films are not are definitely not successes in China yet. Hmm. So uh, I think China will be a lot more cautious from now on when they're trying to aim films at China. I think especially when they have to figure out these kind of business politics when it comes to film distribution. Yeah. Or, you know, at the very least, Disney, come back to Hong Kong and make High School Musical (laughs) Hong Kong. I mean, it couldn't be any worse than something like High Noon, right? (laughs) Um, All right, let's move on. Our third story this week, not really a story, uh, but Kevin, you want to give us an update about the relief efforts for Japan? Yeah, um, well, it's been a month since the earth, uh, earthquake in Japan now. And actually, um, they just had another one. Like yeah, today there's been or uh, several, several aftershocks. Some big aftershocks, yeah. Yeah, I think a 7 point something. I think an aftershock that happened last week was already even bigger than the Kobe earthquake. Um, so things are definitely not calmed down there yet, at least in the region. Um, just want to update on some relief efforts being done by people in the entertainment circle. Um, Hong Kong, there was a relief show two weeks ago, I think, uh, that was helped by Jackie Chan, Eric Zung, um, also two Hong Kong, Hong Kongers, Hong Kong entertainers based in Japan, Agnes Chan and, uh, and Judy Ong. And there was a big show in, in the Victoria Park, uh, groups, I think Korean groups, Wonder Girls, uh, came to Hong Kong, AKB48 from Japan came to Hong Kong. Of course, a ton of Hong Kong stars, uh, performed, uh, and they raised, I think, 23 million Hong Kong dollars here. Uh, also in Japan, there was a free day, three-day charity event, I think, called J-Marching, uh, mainly held by Johnny Johnny's Entertainment, the uh, talent agency. Um, I think that attracted a couple hundred thousand people. Um, I've also heard that India, I think, will be holding a relief effort, uh, some kind of charity concert. Uh, there was also one this past weekend in America. So all these these events are still happening as we speak. Um, and effect on the on the J- Japanese media so far. Um, Japanese media is, is is slowly getting back into normal. Films are getting released. Um, theaters are opening back up. Uh, as long as the rolling rolling blackouts don't affect theaters too much, uh, movies are still playing. Uh, however, Aftershock still doesn't have a release date yet. The Chinese earthquake film. Um, the finale of Twenty Four has been pulled because it has I think it's something to do with nuclear weapons. Um, but uh, the media is just slowly getting back to normal. Uh, music that were delayed earlier, uh, music releases that were delayed earlier <clears throat> for two weeks at the end of March, they're getting rescheduled, and things are slowly coming back um, to normalcy, except in the northeast region, of course, but everywhere else in Japan, things are slowly, slowly getting back into normal. Yeah, we keep hearing stories about you know the northeast and the difficulties in dealing with. Uh... The, you know, the nuclear waste and everything that's going on. It's just a, it's a bad situation and it, yes. it's going to take a while for it to get better. Hopefully it will. Um, and again, as you know, we've still got the link up on the site. If you have the ability to do any donation to the Red Cross, um, you can select that you want it to go to do some Japan relief. And you can also find, you know, other uh, organizations out there. Uh, we, you know, we talked to Ken Brorson a couple weeks ago, and his site, uh, Podcast on Fire, and the guys over at V Cinema were doing a collaborative effort um, for a charity that they're supporting that's also uh, working through to give more relief to Japan. So anything you can do is certainly useful. 
And if you're Japan, I highly recommend you um, donate to a charity called Second Harvest. Um, they are a food bank for the for the needy, and they're um, trying to get supplies up there, which is really what they need the most right now, people in the Northeast. So um, I'll send a link to Paul later and hopefully put it up. If you're in Japan, please help out um, get supplies up to the Northeast any way you can. All right, time to move on to our East Screen segment for this week. And this segment is brought to you by lovehkfilm.com. For the latest in Hong Kong film reviews, as well as pan-Asian film discussions, visit Love Hong Kong Film, lovehkfilm.com. All right, we're going to talk about a film called Choi Lee Foot. Choi Lee Foot. Choi Lee Foot. Um... There are different ways to say it, obviously, if you're saying it in Cantonese or in Mandarin, and there are different ways to write it. I'm still not really sure if it's a L-E-E or an L-I or an F-U-T or an F-F... F-U-C-K. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just crazy. It's L-E-E um, for sure. L-E-E-F- but basically, yeah, Choi Lei Foot, it's the name of a specific family style of martial arts. Um, so, Kevin, why don't you take us into this one? Okay. Wow. Okay. Charlie Foot is um, a low budget martial arts film that's kind of a family affair. It stars uh, Samuel Hong, uh, his son, his other son, Sammy Hong, who we don't see so much in movies, I think, and Yuen Hua. Um, the film is about a very simple story about um, a young man named Kit who, who spends his time in studying in England. Um, he returns home to China uh, to his family, I guess, a family's Choi Fut school at the, at the suggestion of his father, uh, played by Samuel Hong, to essentially continue the, the I guess, to learn martial arts. And he also brings along a uh, Japanese friend, um, played by actual real Japanese person, although he's dubbed in Cantonese. Um, and uh, the school is, I think, being um, brought up by a big corporation, um, and <clears throat> yeah, it's called the won- Pan American Corporation. Yes, the Pan America Corporation that has a headquarter that looks like it's stationed in Hong Kong, but yet it's called Pan America. Uh, so they want to buy up the Charlie Foot, the Choi Lee Foot um, school, and uh, and uh, send essentially all the students into big, nice facilities and uh, essentially commercialize the whole thing. But um, Kit doesn't won't, don't don't want to have any of it, even though his father has apparently signed a paper approving it. So uh, at the suggestion uh, of the um, company executive, they decide to uh, put on a martial arts tournament uh, to decide who gets the final say of what happens to the school. So the rest of the film, uh, it's about Kid, um, his, his big brother, and uh, the Japanese guy training to, for this tournament. Um, and of course, there's a bit of a romance going on between Kit and the executive at the company and some romantic triangle. And oh, wait, where's Samuel Hong? Yeah, Samuel Hung is only in the film at the beginning and the end, and he only performs martial arts once in a green screen flashback by the Yuan Hua character, who is kind of a, an elder, one of the elders of the school. So obviously, it was shot on green screen, so you know, obviously, that's just cheap, low-budget kung fu film that's, um, I want to say that it's made for China, because even at our screening, you, heard, you can hear the uh, China-approved anthem um, that, was, that usually you see in Chinese films, but it looks... Kind of thoroughly like a like a made for 
foreign video market film. It's really low budget, uh, but it has a lot of kung fu, and it'll appear, and it'll probably be dubbed in English, and it'll be fine because the Chinese acting is just as bad. Um, very interesting uh, politics here. There's a good one of the good guys is Japanese um, who somehow has assimilated himself into speaking perfect Cantonese, and uh, also. Uh, uh, apparently wants to really learn Chinese martial arts and wants to go to China uh, because his grandfather, his grandfather was once defeated by a Chinese master and he's always uh, uh, admired this art, the choily foot. Um, and meanwhile, you have evil foreigners. Um, even the, the Chinese, the Chinese uh, evil villains are actually uh, said to be from California at the, at the fin- beginning of the final fight. And isn't that um, where all evil Chinese villains come from? Of course, where I am. <laughs> I am a Chinese villain. And I'm from California. Uh, so is Kozo. Uh, anyway, so so this very weird, um, very weird politics here, I guess, border, national borders and things. Uh, even a Japanese honorable character must bow down to the Chinese choily fats. Um, just a kind of an interesting film. I'm just glad there wasn't a Japanese villain in, in a way. I, I'm, I'm glad that the... The Japanese guy didn't plot to to betray the school or something like that. Sorry, um, that was kind of a spoiler, I guess. Um, everything else is really by the numbers. Uh, most of the film is about how these guys uh, learn, pick up the art, uh, about how to um, convince the big brother, the elder, to 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 train them or to join them. Um, of course, you have also the the romance, a very strange uh, one day date. Uh, between the kid and the executive that takes them from the library to uh, to a hot spring to a very romantic meal in the car with McDonald's. This, uh, it just seems like no one really paid attention to anything that wasn't that wasn't action. Um, they couldn't even bother to shoot sync sound with foreigners, so they had to get probably their own Chinese staff to dub all the foreigners with Chinese accent and English. Uh, they couldn't bother. Uh, get, getting the Japanese guy to speak Japanese because uh, for some reason he speaks about five minutes of English and then he switches to perfect Cantonese. Um, really terrible. Uh, acting is just generally bad. Um, I think it could have been recut to be a homoerotic kung fu film, especially it looked like Yuan Hua was having an affair with all of his students. Um, if we cut it just slight, just a certain way, you could get it that way because it already had, uh, had a lot of suggestive scenes of that. Generally, just a very unintentionally funny movie. I know it's trying to be serious and trying to be amusing, but it ends up that the funny stuff, the amusing stuff wasn't funny, and the serious stuff was hilarious. Um, that's just kind of what you're used to, I guess, with films like these. And we had a really good time in the cinema, mainly because we were making fun of the soundtrack and everything that was happening. But whenever the, the jokes came, it was the middle-aged guys in the back laughing, and we were, like, and we were just taking breaks between, between taking the piss out of the film. Um... I say uh, for rating, I would say um, if you're not watching with your friends or some to you know really laugh at it, or if you're not playing a drinking game with it, I say skip it because it's really not something that I'm sure a lot of you listening are are smart consumers uh, who would buy, probably pay quite a bit of money for this for DVD of this, and I say don't. <laughs> Um, unless you really plan to really just make fun of your friends, or if you if you have a friend that is in the movie, or if you're gonna do it as an annual or monthly drinking game, I think it's worth a monthly drinking game. Uh, then I would say get a copy of it. But uh, if you're not anything else, I say just skip it and save your money for a better kung fu movie. Yeah, I well, 
it opens like a training video, first of all. Um, if you've ever seen <laughs> a real, like, you know, hungar or uh, choile foot, you know, training video that you'd buy, like, from a martial arts school, that's the opening of this. It's like these, just these students doing moves, like they were doing, a, you know, a form or something, and then you'd press pause, and then you'd do it after they did it. Um, and that's kind of what they used to do in the old, you know, Shaw stuff and Kung Fu, but they'd be like on this sound stage and they'd be dressed in, you know, their period uniform and they, they'd be doing, you know, the the eagle in the snake's shadow or something, some, you know, some kind of crazy move, whatever was the movie was named after. But here they're just doing, you know, choile foot routines and it's just guys you don't really ever see unless they're background extras at some point. I thought um, the movie would be in 3D in this, in this opening. Yeah. Is this... Stuff it was popping weird. Up it was it was weird. It had weird colors, um, but then it sort of gets into things. It starts off in the UK, and you know, it, it like you said, it's following basically Samo's son, uh, who's playing the main character of Kit, and he gets right away. He gets involved in this fight in this cafe, which I guess happens all the time in in the UK, um, at least according to this film. And all these, like, gang members bust in, and nobody's got a British accent. It's like, if you're going to make a movie that's supposed to be set in the UK, but you're filming it in some place like Canada, at least get a couple guys who can fake a British accent. I mean, they didn't even try. Um, and then, yeah, Samo comes and goes. He's got, I'd say, less than five minutes of screen time uh, in this film, which is a shame. Because uh, I really wanted to see more of him. You, you don't. This isn't the Samo that you get in, say, Ip Man Two, by any way, shape, or form. Um, you did mention that he does kind of have a scene where he does some moves with uh, Yunhua in the middle, but it's not. It's not filmed very well. Um, but this is Yunhua's movie. I, I think that he made the film for me. He made it enjoyable. He's basically just being himself you know, mugging to the camera as he, as, as he's known for doing in, in recent roles. And, and I, but I, you know, I liked it. I laughed when he was doing it. And, um, I, I enjoyed the role, his role as the brother, uh, you know, the, the head of this old school. Now this is a standard tournament movie as a plot device. Okay. There's a big tournament. Everybody's got to train to get to the tournament. Some guys are bad. Some guys are good. You're rooting for the good guys. Um, you know, you're waiting to see if anything underhanded's coming up, and there's a training montage, as there usually is, and then there's a montage of the bad guys training, and it's just not that interesting. Um, and one one of the things is ridiculous is, like you mentioned, the plot of this is that it, it's because they want to acquire the Foot school name or something, um, and and you know, uh, Kit doesn't want to give it up. He's, they've got this letter from his dad, but he doesn't know if it's real or not. And so they're going to do this tournament. The, the tournament, the, the, the Pan American company says they got $80 million for sponsorship of this tournament. There's no way, okay? That's like, you know, Vegas numbers. There's no way this little dinky tournament is going to get $80 million in sponsorship. And then there's a $3 million prize. I don't know. Maybe it was like Hong Kong dollars. The Hong Kong dollars down now. I guess so, um, but yeah, there's there's just no way the numbers they were throwing around on screen were 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 anywhere in the realm of reality. Well, apparently the 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 ads the they mentioned a bunch of brand names and they were actually real brand names. 
I was I heard, I... and and uh, and and of course, then they they got these eighty million dollar tournament had these ads that have no picture and they're like they're done on like seventies hippie colors, yeah. um, and and they just have the word of the <laughs> sponsors printed. Well, they certainly didn't use eighty million dollars to make this movie. Yeah, and they, and they um, hired they hired like the worst the worst extras ever. Yeah. People who are who are caught texting while they're supposed to be watching a tournament, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's basically look at Karate Kid, look at Rocky, look at any film that's going to culminate in some kind of a tournament, and you kind of know the direction, the flow things are going to take. They do throw in the, the 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 romance angle, so the girl is torn because she's having feelings for the for the guy now, and there's an, it's a little, you know, she's got feelings for a guy on the other team too, and. Uh, she dances in one scene. I don't know why. Uh, they, they just like stumble across her in an aerobics room, and she's doing this like flash dance kind of number. Um, I, I guess that was in her contract, you know. To give her, feeling, yeah. yeah, to give her her moment of glory. Uh, it really has nothing to do with the story or the movie um, whatsoever. Could have been totally cut out, and it would have been fine. Um, there, there is an interesting aspect. You know, they do try and look a little bit at the idea of. You know, the traditional training techniques of the system versus modern training techniques. But that, that never really goes anywhere. It's just like, oh, these guys are doing this and it's making them tough compared to our sort of old archaic way of doing things. I mean, it, I think they could have done more with that. It could have, you know, they could have really explored, you know, the way things used to be and, and, and what modern technology and training. Is there a benefit? You know, is there a trade-off? I would have liked to have seen more done with that, but that's way too academic for what this movie was trying to achieve, I guess. And let's see. the So that never goes anywhere. Um, like you said, there's this whole montage where they do a thousand things in like one afternoon. Um, <laughs> and it's a music video. There's a music video that goes along with it, which kind of put me to sleep. Um, the action, you know, you get down to it. It's a kung fu movie. You've got people like Samo and Yunwa involved. They've got a lot of experience. Um, his son is actually decent. I mean, um, I guess he's been training, and he's interested in it. I mean, he he did okay, and I think some of the action sequences are are pretty well done. Um, but the final fight, um, there's the, the the tournament consists of three fights. It's it's the best out of three, and there are three different fighters on each side. The <coughs> final fight is just lame. Um, it was in no way climactic. Um, some of the guys were saying it's because that the opponent, uh, he's this handsome actor, but he's not really a martial artist, and so they were kind of cutting around him, and that's why it didn't look very dynamic compared to some of the other fights. So, yeah, um, not a very climactic final fight. Uh, but you've got Ian Powers yeah. from you know, great films like Contract Lover, and he's playing X-Man. I mean, how can you go wrong? with a name like X-Man and you're a fighter and you're on the bad guy's side, right? Um, I would say, okay, look, I didn't think it was as terrible as everybody thought it was. I thought it was better than it was going to be. It's still pretty bad. But if you're somebody who really likes low-budget kung fu films like I do and you can get some entertainment value out of them, I'd say this is a TV it, you know, if you can get it um, in, a, in a very cheap way. I don't know if it'll be on VCD or a discount DVD of some sort. You could kind of go for it. I mean, like I said, I think Yunwa makes up for a lot for me. Um, and some of the action is actually pretty decent. You can sort of fast forward through the rest. Um, it's likely your only option 
because I don't think this is going to be playing in any other theaters ever. We had to basically hunt and search to find a theater playing it here. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say. If, if you're not a big Kung Fu fan uh, of any sort of, I mean, to the extent where you know the difference in different schools and different families and different styles, that kind of a thing. If you just think all Kung Fu is just martial arts, it's like karate, it's judo, it doesn't matter, you probably want to skip this. And we've got a subtitle of the week, so I need to play this. What? 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 Huh? This week in subtitles. Yes, this week in subtitles. Our subtitle of the week is coming from this film, Charlie Foot. What is the subtitle of the week, Kevin? Can you tell us? Oh, I gotta do this. I gotta do this. I gotta do an accent because Ian Powers was dubbed in the film, so you never actually hear his real voice. So, uh, like I said, they actually probably got one of the Hong Kong staff to do this. So it's um, don't look too hot. You have nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> that's right don't look too hard you'll have a nightmare um yeah it was it was pretty pretty lame but it's a pretty decent subtitle when you when you get around to it all right well that's gonna wrap it up for east screen this week why don't we take a short break and we'll be back to talk about our west screen films right after a little bit of a musical interlude We are back to talk about our West Screen films. We have two films to talk about this time. The first up is Rio, coming from director Carlos Saldana. This is the uh, latest animated film. And he has also worked before on a couple of the Ice Age movies and the film called Robots. Film stars Jesse Eisenberg playing a macaw named Blue, a very rare blue macaw, one of the last of his species. And Leslie Mann plays his owner, Linda, and Anne Hathaway plays the female of the species, one of the last remaining of the blue macaw species, named Jewel. Um, so, basically, this is a fish-out-of-water, or you might say a bird-out-of-air story. Um, it starts off with Blue as a baby, 
getting taken from the forests in South America and transported to be sold somewhere, uh, I'm assuming through an illegal uh, trading business. And through happenstance, he basically bounces uh, out of the truck that he's being carded in and lands in this small, sleepy, snowy town. Um, I don't remember what town it was. Do you remember? Moose Lake. Moose Lake. Moose Lake. Where is that? Uh, I'm in Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah, okay. That's that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, he ends up on the street, and he's discovered by this little girl, Linda, and she's, you know, she takes him in and decides she's going to take care of him. She raises him, and they are the best of friends. Um, now, as such, he's sort of being a housebird. Uh, he doesn't know how to fly. Um, and then a bit later, Linda... Uh, puts pictures of her and uh, Blue up, you know, on the internet, uh, and I guess on things like Facebook. And uh, this comes to the attention of a scientist who's trying to repopulate the species. So he travels there and finds them and tries to convince Linda to allow her and Blue to come to Rio so that they can mate Blue uh, with a female of the species. Uh, Linda reluctantly agrees, and so their adventure begins. They head off to Rio. Uh, before you know it, though, Blue and, and the female, which he comes to know as Jewel, are kidnapped by bird nappers who break into the facility and want to sell them off to the highest bidder. Um, so the bird thieves run off. Blue and Linda manage to escape out into the wild, and of course Blue doesn't know how to fly, so... That sets up all kinds of hilarity, and thus the bird out of the air or fish out of water type of story. Um, it's got some decent gags, but there are kind of some stereotypes in here of, you know, Latin individuals and South, uh, South American, Brazilian individuals. Um, Brazil is kind of shown mostly as a tourist gaze. So you get to see the fancy beaches, the fancy parades. This is happening during Carnival. Um, you know, sort of their big festival, and it's a big tourist attraction. Um, they do kind of show some of the poor side uh, of it, and there's a, a plot with a, an orphan boy who's a thief. Um, and it it's kind of sappy in some ways, because um, you know it's going to, you know, it's a cartoon. It's going to end up with, you know, a, a, a rather happy ending, as cartoons tend to do. I don't want to give away too many spoilers. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the setting. Blue and Linda encounter lots of other animals, uh, some trying to help them, some trying to hinder them, and they go on basically trying to get back to, you know, get Blue back to, um, Linda, and Jewel and Blue are basically connected through this chain for much of the film, so it's kind of got like a, oh brother, we're out there. Uh, where art thou kind of a feel because, you know, they're chained and they have to kind of work together for a bit. Um, a, a similar plot device you've seen in other films as well. Um, the animation is really good. I was really impressed. I didn't think it was going to be as good as it was. I'd say it's definitely more impressive in some aspects than Nomeo and Juliet was. The music is great here. Um, they've got lots of different music. Um, I'm a big jazz fan. They've got some, um, you know, South American jazz here. There are renditions of songs by a couple of the actors. I mean, I'm really close to probably buying the soundtrack, which is more than I can say for Nomeo and Juliet. So for me, the soundtrack really worked well. Um, good film for kids. You know, it, it, it gets a little, little bit dark in a couple places. Um, 
kind of hints at bird cannibalism a little bit, but uh, primarily good for kids, I'd say. This is really a, a see-it film if you've got kids or, again, if you like animation. Um, otherwise, you might just wait for it uh, as a video TV it. Kevin, what do you think? Um, first, I think it's a really pretty film. Uh, I watched it in 2D, actually. Um, and uh, I think I'm going to miss that one 3D experience. It's really pretty. Uh, very, very pretty. Um, the director, Carlos Saldana, uh, is from Rio. He's Brazilian. So this is uh, kind of a love, love letter to his hometown. And it definitely looks like it. He paints it very pretty. Even the slums. He kind of puts a lot of different, I guess, action scene possibility. There's one for the slums, through the, through the parade, through the carnival. Um, there's even a scene on a tram, you know, where you got these beautiful flowers coming down. It's all very pretty movie. It's, um... The adventure part is only okay. Uh, it's not really spectacular. You kind of know where it's going. When they talk about the carnival midway, you kind of know where it's going to wrap up. Um, the, the characters aren't really that memorable. Um, but uh, I think it's really amusing. The, the, it's, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of good jokes. Um, and I think for the adults, even if it doesn't really have the heart that Pixar always have, uh, or the, that extra adult factor, that Pixar films have. I think that the adults really like the 3D, if in 3D, the, the colorful images, um, things like that. Um, yeah, I don't really think too much of it. I never really liked the Ice Age movies. Kevin, um, hang, hang on a minute. You're, you're like roboting all up and down. I'm going to reset the call. Hello? Hello. All right, that's better. Is that better? Continue. Please. Okay, where would I? Where um, I 3D. Um, Didn't like Ice Age. Yeah, I, I, I saw the Ice Age movie. I saw the first Ice Age movie. I didn't really like it because I thought it was... Um, I don't know, I just generally I just really didn't like the film. Um, and I like it. And it's kind of a similar uh, structure here in Rio, I think. Um, you know, these animals go on the run and talk to each other and things like that. Um, it's... In that way, it's not... It doesn't really stand the test of time, I guess. It's always this one structure and once you know how it goes and you don't really have much reasons to look back at it um but i think again it's a really colorful film and i think it's enjoyable enough for the kids and i think the adults won't be too bored um i'm okay with it i think uh if you can see it on the big screen because it is such a pretty movie um otherwise it's a good tv thing you know it's a good way to kill 90 minutes not too bad not too great yeah that's pretty much what it is all right all right, our second West Screen film for this week is Inside Job, a documentary coming from Charles Ferguson, uh, who was also the director of another documentary called No End in Sight from 2007. Uh, that documentary was focusing on uh, the Bush administration and the Iraq War. Uh, this one is focusing entirely on the entirety of the financial crisis from its very earliest inception uh, pre-2008 up until recently, um, being some point in 2010, uh, right before the movie was released theatrically. Um, now, this film it was in theatrical release over here, I think as part of one of the festivals. I don't know if it was the HKIFF or another one of the uh, subsidiary festivals. I know it was playing here, but I had it marked as coming on iTunes for rent um, last week, and it popped up, 
and I immediately uh, rented it because I'd been wanting to see it for a while. Uh, in part because I have a very strong interest in, you know, politics and stuff like this. So I was really interested to see this person's take on it. Um, it's a much more researched film than that of Michael Moore's Capitalism, A Love Story, which came out last year and we talked about uh, back on episode 23. The film here does lack Michael Moore's flair, though. Um, it's very straightforward. There's no sense of humor. Uh, there's no sense of sarcasm. And, you know, uh, some people don't like that about Michael Moore. When you're dealing with very serious subjects, though, like he does, for me, sometimes that kind of stuff can help me, you know, digest it and get through to the next part. Um, so there's none of that here. It's very straightforward. Interviews, discussions, um, lots of statistics. And again, you know, like anything, statistics can be manipulated in ways to support if different ideas and things. Uh, I'm not saying that that makes this film bad or good, but there are statistics there that pop up um, as text on the screen from time to time. But mostly it's the director pretty much just interviewing people. Occasionally he himself is present in that you can hear a couple of the questions he's asking to the interviewees, but mostly he stays off the screen. He, he's, he's not um, in front of the camera really at all. Uh, it's comparable to, if you've seen the documentary on Enron called Enron, The Smartest Guys in the Room, which is a 2005 film, I believe, it's very similar to that film. It's, it's in-depth, it's research, it's straightforward, it explains everything kind of in its entirety uh, to how it started, to what happened, to sort of what was the result. The problem with this one is, is that Enron kind of had a very clear-cut result with a couple people going to jail, and that's not the case here. This, you know, we're still living in the midst of the financial crisis, and very little's been done about it. Um, Matt Damon narrates the whole thing, and he does a really solid job. Makes me wonder if he's kind of setting out to be the next George Clooney, because George Clooney is very politically active and, and, and very much from a liberal point of view, which some people don't like. Um, but I think as a narrator, he has a solid voice and he carries through the information well. And, it, you know, it didn't put me to sleep. It kept me really engaged. So I think that um, that was a, a draw in and of itself. He does talk to some big names, at least in politics and in banking. Um, people like uh, Elliot, Elliot Spitzer, the former, uh, uh, I think he was the mayor of New York, um, and, and some others. I won't go through the list of names, but he doesn't get access to some even bigger names, people that you would really want to talk to about this, uh, like Alan Greenspan, like Ben Bernanke, um, like, um, uh, I, I can't, uh, Hank Paulson. Um, so it, it, it's in-depth, it's researched, but it's, it's lacking in a few areas because he just couldn't get access because there are people who don't want to talk about um, the problems because as a in, in part, they're, they were responsible for some of the problems. The focus goes beyond the U.S., which is nice. Michael Moore's focus kind of pretty much stayed in the U.S., but here they start, sort of show how everything started out overseas with some of the banks in Iceland, um, and then later, you know, things happened in the U.S. with the, the derivatives and all that stuff, if you've paid attention, but then how the fallout later hit places like China in their manufacturing sector, 
Um, so if you were over here, you saw the news of factories shutting down and migrant workers being sent home because there were no jobs as a result of what was going on in the U.S. And, of course, they focus a little tiny bit on Hong Kong because of the thing with Lehman Brothers and the economic fallout that that had here for a lot of people who had invested in the Lehman Brothers mini bonds. So it really is very encompassing. The end does get a bit preachy, um, a bit too much for me, kind of like what we need to do and, you know, we need to, how we need to motiv get motivated and, and, and take the next step and this kind of a thing. Um, and it's kind of depressing. It's, like I said, it doesn't really have any points of humor in it. Um, so you go through, through it and it's kind of depressing because you get to this end point where we are today and you look at the people who the fingers of responsibility point to, they're still around. Nobody's really been, you know, prosecuted. Nobody's under, under, undergone. There have been some congressional hearings and they show some of those, but nothing's really been done. And some of the very same people are actually working for the Obama administration now. So when you see that, when you get to that point in the film, it's just kind of like, uh, um, so it's a well-done documentary, but you have to be in the right mindset to sit through it, especially if you're a family that's kind of been affected by this. If you've got, you know, if you know anybody who's lost a house or lost their retirement because of some of the things that have gone on. Uh, but definitely worthwhile, a piece of history that's worth seeing. Um, again, the numbers in it I can't vouch for because I know how people can play with funny numbers, but you can't, you can't deny the fact that certain people were in certain places when certain things and certain decisions were made, and those people are still around, and many of them are in positions of power still, so, um, or have gotten even more power, um, and I find those facts very, very interesting, and if you, if you do too, it's definitely, I'd say, worth a rent. Uh, I don't know if I would have wanted to see this in the cinema. I typically don't like seeing movies or documentaries like this in the cinema. I'd rather sit down with them on video, but that's just me. So it's a definite see it. But if you're somebody who likes documentaries, this is a very well done documentary. Um, or, or, I'm sorry, it's a definite TV it for me. But if you're somebody who likes seeing those kind of things in the cinema, I'd say it's a it possible see it. listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. Uh, anything you want to close out with before we wrap things up here, Kevin? You a couple uh, things you have going on you want to talk about? Yeah, uh, well, First of all, sorry that my voice isn't really up to par this week uh, because of the the the, the code. Yeah. Um, Could you say you had a choile foot in your mouth? <laughs> well, like I got a choile foot in my ad. Or my <laughs> 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 I want to stick a choile foot up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or 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 as they say in the song, choile fat. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I tried to find that song. I couldn't find it. I was hoping it was. By it was on uh, YouTube, but I could not find it. Gotta find it, but G Town. But anyway, um, gotta plug in the little thing. Uh, hope, thankfully, Paul will be putting this up by the weekend. Um, on April seventeenth, uh, Hong Kong time, uh, at seven forty-five, I will be doing a live blog of this year's Hong Kong Film Awards. Will 
Donnie try and forget it man too. Will Trey Hark make a big return with Detective D? Will um Wanjing be kicked out of the cultural center for making future X Cops? We will see on Sunday. I will report it live on my blog, The Golden Rock, um, and on Twitter. Um just go to the time converter site, whatever. Uh join us, uh read the blog, uh talk to me on Twitter and we'll we'll have some fun Sunday night. All right, that sounds good. And hopefully you'll be feeling much, much better by then. Um, and hopefully you'll be feeling even better for uh, Thursday. We'll talk about that in uh, just a minute. Got a comment on the site from uh, Tinglin Lao, Gary, last time, talking about the clip we played at the beginning of our last episode. And yes, indeed, that was from I'm Gonna Get You, I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker. Uh, a film by the Wayans brothers before they were doing their show, I think, before they did the Wayans show. Um, one of my favorite films uh, of of any, any film, because I, I just remember seeing that and laughing my head off. I really loved Chris Rock in that and a lot of the other um, actors who made cameos in that as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that's going to wrap things up for this this week's show. If you'd like to follow along with what we're doing, well, you can always find us over at the website. That's www.concast.com, and you can leave us some comments there. We'll talk about the stuff you say, if you say anything really interesting and cool. You can also find us on iTunes, and likely that's how you're finding this show, but if you'd like to leave us some feedback there, we would love to hear it. Um, You know, the one thing I found, though, is I don't like the way that iTunes does their, their reviews thing. Because it's like it's different for every country. Um, really? So, yeah, we've got like a couple on the American store. But I remember that uh, some uh, somebody was telling me that uh, our friend, friend of the show, David Harris, had uh, left a review. And I never saw it there. And then I was like, well, pl- clicking a couple buttons. And somebody said, you can check the other stores if you change the region. So I went over to the UK region. And sure enough, there was David's review. So it's like for every different iTunes region, you got to go and check and see you know who's leaving reviews for you i wish they could just correlate it all into one thing well it's Um, all about the regional thing and who can buy movies and what's on which store yeah i mean you look at the hong kong store it's like there's nothing there it's 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 a shame Uh, and they're opening two stores here supposedly this year two apple stores so uh hopefully they'll get with the program and get us a decent store um but that's neither here nor there you can follow us on twitter uh you can follow the show at Comcast. Uh, it's twitter.com slash concast, and you can follow Mr. Ma at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. That says one word. And you can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. And if you'd like to, you can send us an audio file, a short audio file, and we'll play it here on the show. Uh, where else can they find you, Mr. Ma, aside from your live blogging and your foot in the mouthing? <laughs> also foot in the budding uh, I will be at um, okay at nestasia.com you can see me at the Yumcha section under the name Rockman um, also read the thing, other things by our fine editors here is Asia um, I also write weekly for um, www.ypmovies.com.hk this week I uh, won't be reviewing anything but next week I should be reviewing the Adam Sandler flick Oh, I think I'll also be reviewing Rango this weekend. So mm. look out for that. Yeah. All right. And so, yeah, uh, next week, episode 62, we should be talking about Rango. <laughs> uh, it's been like three weeks of 
animated 3D movies. And speaking of 3D, next week, episode 62, <laughs> Sex and Zen. 3D. I need an echo. 3D. D, 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 D. I got to do the hand thing. If I can do the hand thing right now. Uh, you don't want to say <laughs> sex and Zen 3D and hand thing in the same <laughs> sentence, my friend. Okay? You just don't. <laughs> I'm just it ends on like a hand approaching the camera and, <laughs> and all the licking and the okay, uh, never yeah, mind. Yeah. I'm stopping. Uh, okay, sorry, stop well. Uh, stop now, please. Okay. Yes, yes. Uh, yes, but we'll be seeing that um, much anticipated film this Thursday, and so we'll be talking about that next week as well. So, until then, valued listener, we will, as always, wish you good viewing, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Message when you hear the beep. You have our gratitude.